Hey there, good citizens of the cannabis community. It's a good, good day here on the Infuse Show. It's a good day every day I get to spend with Francesca. How are you today? How are you today? My God. I am doing very well. It yeah. is towards the end of the day, the lovely day. We're here with a good conversation. So I'm I'm psyched. I'm pumped. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's yeah, no, I, I'm pumped because of, of who's joining us today. Today, the Infuse show, the little show from the Beast Coast here in Slower Lower Delaware. We're extending our reach all the way out uh, so that we can knock on the golden door of California and say hello and offer a warm welcome to our special guest today. This gentleman uh, that we have uh, on the show today is the founder and president of C1D1 Labs. He's a busy guy. He's a great guy that believes in doing things the right way. And let me say this, we need more people like that in this industry. Let's give a very warm welcome to Alex Barsky. Alex, thank you for joining us. Woo! Hi, thank you for having me. Thank, I appreciate you, Francesca. Thank you for having us. Oh, no, it's, it's really, we appreciate you making time for us today. Uh, we know you're a busy guy. How you been? Busy. Yeah. <laughs> um, busy is great, you know, moving forward every day. Grateful for, for another year in the industry. So, That's awesome. Um, we're definitely making strides and, and we're excited to keep, keep moving forward. That's, that's fantastic. Now, who's joining us now uh, today with you, Alex? Who's the pup? So this is Mia. Uh, she's definitely a, a C1D on Labs mascot. Oh, uh, hey. around at conferences or at your laboratory. Chances are I've been with this little one. <laughs> she's adorable. Adorable. We appreciate the cameo, Mia. Uh, check is in the mail. I got to say, <laughs> on, on the three for the three of us combined, today's show is brought to you by allergies. It's allergy season all over. And Alex and I were talking, it looks like Alex and, and I suffer from the same thing. We're going to do our best to keep that uh, at bay today for our listeners. Um, Alex, we, we've got so much we want to talk about today, but I think the first thing I wanted to get into was uh, our, our audience would be very, very interested in how in your journey into to cannabis as a place where you were working and productive. So you started out here on the Beast Coast. We're about 10 minutes from Maryland, how did you uh, start your journey and wind up out in California? I started my journey young, um, definitely in high school um, is when I definitely got into smaller scale cannabis. Um, and then as things became larger and larger, I gained more interest in, in, in having more <laughs> Have, sorry about that guys <laughs> no apologies We're ha having more uh more more cannabis power and revenue making that more my main focus rather than being an auxiliary um focus in my life um when i was younger i got arrested a few times in maryland um mm -hmm. due to their their laws on, on possession and that pushed me through four or five different high schools and rehabs inpatient rehab for cannabis wilderness programs um, all for like a gram. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, it was a lot. Um, I never really did great with P tests either. Um, <laughs> so probation probably wasn't for me, but, um, I, I got motivated through the process of going through the judicial system and then the rehabilitation system. And eventually the pharmaceutical as you know, these rehabs put me on Xanax and other pills to, to remove my need to smoke cannabis because I was self-medicating for my anxiety. What um, a backwards ass protocol. I know. I, I, I haven't <laughs> even seen her taking Xanax, but it's 
on the scale of mess you up, it, yeah, cannabis, it's night and day. I mean, you can't even remember what you just ate, you know, if you're even eating on these drugs. And it's it, for me, it was an eye opening experience as to, you know, not everyone really cares about you. These, these industries that are literally developed to help, you know, people f- from their addictions and so on are, are actually feeding pharmaceutical addictions one way or the other. Um, so for, for at a young age, I, I wanted to do something different. Right. And for me, my belief was in cannabis, um, you know, throughout the entire process, I, I was always kind of like that. Uh, and when, when I freed myself to, from the probation in Maryland and went to California, and that was the first thing I did, I went to Oroville and, and I kind of chased down, you know, a deeper learning and understanding of the plant. Wow. And then from there, were you, were you growing and then got into extraction? Were you always interested in extraction? Like what was that piece like? So I definitely did my time on the farms. Um, yeah. I figure you have to almost. I guess you, everyone really starts trimming, right? Um, yeah. Someone who grows and, and you jump on their farm and you, you hang around the master growers and, and you, you kind of follow them around the daily routines and you sit in the trim room and get to know the plant. Right. And, and that's where it all started for me. Um, when I did about four or five of these jobs, you know, for me, I kind of wanted something different. Um, I was then living in Oakland at the time and ran into an old friend of mine. Uh, we started a company together, Golden Bear Concentrates back in the day. It was one of the first licenses to go from medicinal to recreational. And that's where I got the majority of my extraction experience was starting one of these developing facilities that, you know, was one of the first of its kind in a place like California. Um, from there, it was really teaching and developing the standards and creating an education ladder for the fire departments and building departments and engineers to adapt what we wanted to do as extraction um, companies. So you, you've always had a pretty good relationship with, with places like, like the Oakland Fire Department. It looks like your work um, is very much focused on let's stay ahead of the game right? When it comes to regulatory standards and things like that, working in conjunction with local like uh, authorities like that. Yeah. That's how we got a lot of our traction, right? Um, you know, they've done similar industries, um, oil and gas, and spray paint boots and all these other things, but the entire process of extraction includes several different um, post-processing initial extraction techniques and fire codes that, that are evolved around all these different standard operating procedures and without any applicable knowledge, it's very difficult for a municipality to create any sort of realistic um, ordinance requirements for permitting any sort of building. Right. Um, so that's where we came in. You know, we brought a fire protection engineer who at the time was a California fire marshal and he contacted all the other fire marshals. We've got kind of got everyone together in one room and we sat everyone down and we went over you know, the brand new NFPA codes that, came out NFPA chapter, uh, uh, NFPA one chapter 38, in addition to 33 and, and all 58 and all these other codes that go around storing and using flammable gases and, mm. and alcohols, flammable liquids. Um, by then creating and showing what we used as a fire hazard analysis report, mm-hmm. which is a complete overview of the fire codes that are involved in the design of the facility and sharing it with the fire marshals and building departments that went to this meeting after they had then learned from us the different codes that were applicable. It went over, it kind of completed the circle of how to apply the codes in a design 
and what a standard report for technical report should look like for one of these facilities, which they then used as their standard for, for applications. Um, at that time, we then also released, obviously, these services of fire protection services and architectural engineering services to those friends and, and close uh, companies that we were working with so that they could also get through the system as fast as possible. Wow. So you really, I, I love that you guys, C1D1 is really setting the standard. And what I love about that is that you got in early enough that you had influence in a place that's really important to have influence in that safety, in that professional excellence. And as somebody who is the authority on extraction, was that something that you would kind of knew when you went in to do this, were you like, okay, I know we want to be the authority. We want to set the standard. We want to be involved in making sure all of this makes sense from a cannabis perspective. So we're going to be the ones. No, not Not at all. Um, That's a big bite, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. it is. I love making extracts in a lab to to writing codes and standards, you know, but um, I needed to. It was absolutely necessary for the industry. There was one company that was doing 100% of this before me, and they were creating an extremely high barrier of entry that none of my friends could afford or go through. These guys were making more money slowing people down, adding more of their services, adding more of their time, and then getting people across the finish line, which neither the municipality wants. Because then they're not going to get any money from permitting these facilities, which takes years for them at that time. Or we're not going to make any money not getting permitted, right? So um, at the time, I found out that equipment was being certified by one company. So there was only a group of equipment manufacturers that had these certifications that were charging outrageous amounts of money. So the C1D1 uh, rooms were going anywhere between $150,000 to $200,000. We brought it all the way down to $40,000. Um, wow. That is, we use our own third party engineering. Um, mm. And these guys, you know, these engineers have already been in contact with the fire department. So they've already shown massive experience in their, in their credentials and experience in, in these laboratories that when we started developing ASME equipment certifications and extraction room certifications to lower the barrier of entry, um, these municipalities quickly adapted them and trusted them and showed them that we could also be approved engineers to the secondary company in places like Long Beach and LA County, um, which then opened up our engineering services for equipment all over the world. Um, you know, we do, uh, we did the first uh, certification for Lunatech, which was a completely fully automatic butane system. Um, mm-hmm. And we've done a handful of Frankenstein certifications where extractors have their own compliant ASME equipment and we're able to certify theirs. And of course, we have our own butane extraction equipment um, here with C1D1 Labs that are also certified by these third-party engineers and bring down the cost to these systems and bring the ease to acceptance, um, which every extractor wants. Yeah, that's something that you definitely taught us, I think, um, a while ago, is that when we first entered into this space, I remember hearing butane extraction is the cheaper way to do it as in that's a bad thing as in like, that's the kind of dirty, cheap way to extract and CO2 extraction is the cleanest, also the most expensive, you know, and I have a whole, a couple other options. It sounds like with cold press and a couple other things, solventless. And, um, I don't know as much about it as 
For those of us still worried about ROI and making money in the industry, cheap is not bad. It is clean. Yeah, I, yes. Absolutely clean extraction. It's been used in several industries. We remove it to a certain parts per million. It's a healthy product. And honestly, when you remove the fats and lipids, which you see in other products, which are the carcinogens, and you're not smoking that in your product, you're actually dealing with a much cleaner product. Right. So, so interesting. So it's actually it's a complete fucking myth. And it has to do with the quality of the extraction process, not like I guess the, the it has to do with the people and the process so more the than first the first ones to make money normally try to set their standard. Right. Yes. Um, I did it for the industry and for the people in the industry. Other companies and influencers normally do it for them to make money. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, CO2 companies came in and they were teaching exactly what you said about butane's not safe. Look at these explosions in garages. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be using CO2, which runs at thousands of PSI, right? So if something comes off that machine, it's flying off that machine versus like a low pressure butane system which runs between 300 and maybe 150 PSI or 30, between 30 and 150 PSI. So at a cryogenic product without fats and lipids at a lower, much lower pressure in a extraction room, which I'm going to throw out there, we never had someone hurt themselves in one of these extractions. 150 rooms have been built. Um, but, yes. and, and the difference is they're comparing it to traditional market garage builds, right? right? Um, which is a complete gap of education because you're not really educating them on what could be done. And that's what I did. Um, you know, these CO2 companies were charging millions of dollars for their systems and isolating the industry towards people who can only afford that. I mean, if you've been paying attention in the past few years, I've really been a shine on, okay, who knows how to make good product and Mm -hmm. who can make the best product. Um, And those are our friends in the industry that have been since day one who have been screaming out how to make the best product for years and years and years and years. And now we're finally being listened to. Alex, when one thing I was really curious about uh, with, with as much uh, travel as you do and, and working in other markets I think there's like a big, like jubilant, like, yay, every time a, a state goes uh, rec legal or has a successful like medical opening. Um, you got in this game because that, that high barrier of entry was just ridiculous in your opinion. Are the states repeating that same mistake when you go to these new areas? Is it still too, do they start off like at a disadvantage? Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it comes down to licensing at that point right and yeah my experience with licensing now isn't where it was obviously when i was owning and running my labs i have one in maine bridget labs um and and i had that one in oakland but you know it's really development of licensing so nevada florida you know there's there's places with extremely limited amount of licensing so now those licenses are being sold for ridiculous amounts of money versus you know california which had temporary licensing you know, and you can submit a piece of paper and pretty much get going. Um, there's obviously smaller states like Montana where the inspections are easier and quicker to get started. But um, ultimately, it comes down to those licenses to give the market a fair trade. Um, these standards of extraction rooms and safe facilities, they're being adapted nationwide. So that you really can't hide from spending the expense. Um, so the permitting is, is very universal anywhere you are, even in a place like Maine, C1D1s are still required in Montana, Oklahoma. They won't even give you gas unless you have one of these approved C1D1s. They just give cease and desist letters to a lot of people in Oklahoma for that reason. 
Um, so, I mean, it, it's a very common myth to think that my fire marshal doesn't know what he's doing. I'll be okay getting started like this. 99% of the time, you're not going to pass an inspection. And if, if you do, for some reason, pass an inspection or the most fire or something, if you don't go through the proper engineering of developing these facilities in a safe way, you're liable for just about everything. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it's, um, it's frustrating. I know like for us in a lot lower stakes way to see people enter the market, all excited about one part of their business and not boning up on the rest of it. And for us, for our side, it's the professional sales. It's the idea of like having a business process, having a business behind your product, not just a product to sell. And I hear a lot of people thinking about like in states like Oklahoma, where you can just get a processing license that's separate from your grow license, you can apply for it at different times and everything. They seem to come to the idea of extracting late or they're doing splits with people. And is there, I guess, um, something to consider if you're getting license and you're thinking ahead of, uh, with your vision, when do people start thinking about extraction? If they're, if they're basically starting out as a grower? I think that really determines is dependent upon the market that you're in. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you look at Mon- Montana or Maine, right? So Maine is is where we do Bridget Labs. We have Bridget Farms, and we have the farmhouse, uh, completely vertically integrated company. Because it's a small market, um, there's no need to have a giant farm, a giant outdoor farm. In my opinion, um, it's also smart to consider that when you're going through a store and you're selling your own store, you're product isn't being sold for seven dollars a gram it's being sold for 30 mm-hmm. uh, versus wholesale versus storefront right um smaller markets it's much easier to do this in right bigger markets you have to scale each of these individual pieces much larger to compete so if you look like florida for example where they require vertical integration you have to have 20 stores you have to have yeah. distribution to all those stores with that cultivation manufacturing the whole nine yards which is a big chunk of money to spend, infrastructure to grow. If you don't have the experience, you don't have the expertise, you don't have the capital, that's very tough to do from, from the new phase one entrepreneur type of idea versus the small market um, like Maine, where I was saying we could do that vertical integration. Mm-hmm. So uh, Oklahoma is a great example. Um, they gave a lot of licenses to farmers yes. and they didn't really cap much. Um, no. So the, the price of cannabis bottomed quickly in Oklahoma. Um, because of that, because of the plant counts, right? Because mm-hmm. the acres, and and demand. acres that were growing of THC, um, you, they flooded the market, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's an issue. If, if there was vertical integration, chances are someone may not have grown all that because they would have looked into, okay, how much are we going to manufacture? How much are we going to sell? But from a cultivation side, they said, okay, let's just make as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's exactly <laughs> right. And then they end up having to move you know, they're like, oh, wow, now we have to move it all wholesale because we need to get ready for the next harvest. We need that money back and we need that. And it's all like playing this game of catch up yeah. rather than playing a strategic long game. 100%. And for cult- manufacturing, getting your permits in again, these designs in, if you're going to be doing manufacturing, needs to be done ahead of time. It's going to be the largest permitting timeline that you have. So strategically making sure that you do that ahead of time is, is definitely smart. I know a lot of companies who permitted their indoor grow and mm-hmm. then waited till that was done to start their manufacturing, expected their manufacturing to follow right after as far as revenue, 
for their quarterly numbers. And, you know, it, it doesn't happen like that. It just, just pop up, right? So having your plan submitted, proper timelines figured out for not only planning and construction, but purchasing as well is, is necessary, yeah. Yeah, we, we know uh, we, we talked to a number of growers out uh, in the Sooner State, uh, Alex, and, and we hear a lot of good people. We've met them. We've traveled out. We've been in Tulsa and Oklahoma City recently, seeing a couple grow operations. And I don't know what the what the number is. Frank probably has it. We just heard about how many people lost their licenses um, between I think it was September 2021 and January of 2022. Unbelievable. It was thousands of grow operations. But we hear there's a lot of people out there cutting corners, a lot of uh, unsafe work conditions for a number of operations. And we were just joking before, not joking, of course, it's not a, a, a laughing matter. We're, we're wondering, we're like, Alex could probably host like a the kitchen nightmare equivalent of grow facilities that we're, he's seen that are a little unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For extraction labs, absolutely. Really? Uh, there have been times where, when I've walked into a facility and looked at the person and said, I don't feel comfortable having this conversation next to your machine. What? We need to go talk outside. You're welcome to take photos, bring them out, but no way am I going to sit next to a machine that's not safe. I'm not going to build safe laboratories for other people and then put myself in an unsafe situation. <laughs> um, but we see it all the time and it, it, it's nerve wracking, but we've definitely seen. Um, hopefully, you know, we get there before it's an issue. And that's, that's why we're, we do what we do. So. Is there a common mistake that people make? Not using an extraction room. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I don't say that just because I sell the extraction room. But you know, like I said, we haven't had one issue. Inside of the, we've had one tiny issue when someone brought in a heat gun, which is not class one division one, which is not explosion proof, which should not be inside of a legal facility room. Um, as long as you, you keep removing the sparks a fire needs a spark and, and, and oxygen, right? If, if mm -hmm. you can remove the spark, right, you can remove the danger. So all the equipment that you see attached to the, to the extraction equipment inside the room is explosion proof. So you'll see an explosion proof recovery pump on legal facilities, right? That is inside the room. You'll see explosion proof vacuum units if it's done correctly. They have... Uh, little little vacuum units that can be right inside the room and that's the biggest issue i think is that when you're when you're at home doing it you you don't think about all these things you don't have a professional engineer explaining to you the dilution rate of the air and the purge systems that's required for these extraction rooms or the explosion proof electronics that we use and the gas sensors all the safety features are just skipped right yeah. so that's why not only is it the biggest problem but i found out like that's why we needed this solution because yeah. my friends weren't going to stop doing this. We just needed to find an affordable way to get them legal. It's just always, it always makes me ask the question. I don't know if people think that cutting corners with safety is really going to give them the edge that they think it's going to. Um, it's unbelievable. No, they want to get started sooner, right? Yeah. They don't want to go through the permitting system. And, and as you've seen, as soon as the market's profitable, you get shut down. Right? Mm -hmm. The largest scale to growth is recreational sales. When you gain that market share, you're golden, right? But there's no point of working so hard to gain medical market share. And then when it switches, get a cease and assist letter, which 90% of the, the um, Oklahoma um, mm -hmm. guys got. So now they're going through the whole permitting. Now they're going through the development. Now they're going through the purchasing, yeah. which is going to take time. 
you know, and, and the bigger companies that set themselves up correctly are just going to steamroll right through and be the only products on the shelves until they have their stuff figured out. That is so a critical part of being a pro and like to compete against the bigger companies, you have to set yourself up right from the beginning and then continue to practice the best practices instead of trying to get by or skate or cut corners. Like you said, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one thing that, that I know we were talking about when we were kind of huddling up and I was like, definitely want to make sure I cover this because the people that, that I know listen and that we talk to out here on the East coast, we noticed Alex that, that uh, C1 D1 uh, on the site, you have, you know, safety plans for dispensaries. We have met so many people between November and now, uh, as you know, uh, New Jersey went rec legal on uh, April 21st. We were there. They were not ready. <laughs> there, was, there was a huge shortage of product. Um, but we've talked to so many people that have, well, we've got the financial back and we've got this. We're thinking of applying to get a dispensary uh, license, whether that's in New York, uh, which is still, what, 18 months away or something like that, or um, Jersey. Uh, Alex, what kind of services do you offer to people in that uh, in that niche that are like, well, we're filing the paperwork. Uh, what, what work are you get, are doing with dispensaries? Cause there's a whole new market opening up out here. We can obviously help with the architectural designs and, and designing the, the facility, but um, our, our specialty comes with the fire protection engineers, right? And, and having a PE fire protection engineer with a lot of experience and background will create a nice safety report, mm-hmm. which is often used as one of the categories of a point system which are very often used for dispensaries to figure out who's most prepared to take this corner of the street and sell product so that the city can do, you know, the, the best it can in creating revenue. Um, because unlike manufacturing, you know, you only have so many dispensaries, right? You could have a lot of hidden manufacturers and buildings and so forth, but normally a city will limit the amount of storefronts um, that you have in places like Oklahoma, you see that that's obviously not so true, um, but you'll see more of these uh, stricter uh, zoning and, and permitting and licensing in places like New Jersey and New York. So getting competitive with how well you're prepared um, for your submittal is really our expertise. So if we're staying with just dispensaries for a second, almost tangentially, if I'm a consumer and I know I want to get some extracts. I'm not, I'm not into the flower this time. So I'm going to buy some extracts. Is there anything that I should be looking for when I'm shopping either on a label? I should be asking a bud tender about, I should notice about the product and the color and the whatever that makes it better um, in terms of experience or quality on the extraction side. Because I know products so well, my suggestion would be go home and Google this before you get to the dispensary. So I don't sit behind you and wait for 20 <laughs> oh my god that's the also best answer also the, the butt tenders half the time don't know right i mean they're not farm pharmacists no. selling drugs right <laughs> these are homies that yeah. sell weed. Yeah. um so the biggest myth of it all is is, is indica sativa right yeah mm-hmm. Long, long time ago, so I looked at the plants of this one, short and fat. Let me call it this in a Latin word. This one's still <laughs> skinny. Let me call it this in a Latin word. They weren't smoking it, writing down their effects and so forth, right? Um, and we're so far down this hybrid genetic cross system that it's, it's very difficult to say that indica is going to put you in the couch and sativa is going to 
you're going to wake you up, right? Um, there's, a, there's many different things that go into it, including the terpene uh, flavors um, and the flavonoids and, and the, um, the compound composition of, of, of the product is how much THC does it have? How much CBD does it have? How much CBN does it have? As you know, CBN is what makes you tired, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. CBD counter, act, uh, counter affects the THC effects. So um, those compounds, the terpenes, these are what actually make you feel things, right? So the biggest thing when you go into a store, whether it's flour or, or extract, is to, to start with that basic knowledge of how is the product going to make me feel? Because there's a good chance that the bud tender is not really sure how it's going to make you feel. They're just going off that sativa thing, right? And that's, they don't want to get into a 20 minute conversation. So they don't want to start this conversation, which they might know. So it's very much like a, a, a at home research thing. And that's the same with anything you're going to digest, right? Whether it's food um, be. <laughs> or, or medicine, right? So, yeah, yeah, definitely should be. Um, we, we know that, uh, we, we've got something we want to talk to you about with as far as uh, the future, where you're headed with C1D1 and also butane extraction equipment. So um, we know there's a lot of, opp- I, maybe it's just us, Francesca. We want to think there's a lot of opportunity about to unfold here on the East Coast, Alex. But um, where are you guys headed? Uh, what are you looking to do as these markets uh, open up? East Coast is big for us right now. Uh, we're working in Ohio, we're working in Montana, we're working in Maine, Massachusetts, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Virginia. We just developed um, a f- extraction facility for SunMed in Maryland. They're running our butane extraction systems that we've just des- developed and designed and released. Nice. Um, Virginia as well. Um, all the way down to Florida. Um, you know, we're licensed in all these areas. They're looking for the professionals with the experience, like you guys have been saying, to minimize their um, planning period and, mm-hmm. and get to market as soon as possible. And, and having you know the background we do, the municipalities are definitely appreciating that. Um, we're excited. You know, we're definitely moving forward heavy with PT extraction equipment. Ethanol extraction is kind of dissipating. Um, there's definitely a few big companies that are still in the market for ethanol. Um, edible companies and distillate companies, but you're seeing more live resin edibles and more mm-hmm. live resin pens, which are full spectrum, healthier products. Yeah. Um, and they don't cost as much to make. Right. Um, Can you get into and, that a little bit? Like the difference between a distillate and a full resin uh, and, and the resin and just kind of like why, why one is better than the other. Sure. So when you're making distillate, you're really just isolating the molecule THC. You're trying to get a pen to be 90% THC. <laughs> right. So you're removing a lot of the terpenes and a lot of other cannabinoids and, and, and isolating just that one particular compound versus like we were saying, when you smoke flour or, or, or a live resin oil, butane extraction, if, if it's not refined, if it's just coming up the machine and, and post-processed with removal of the butane and, and however you want it shaped, whether it's shatter or batter or, you know, crumble, um, it's full spectrum, meaning it, it has all the cannabinoids, it has all the flavonoids, it has all the terpenes, and it hasn't been refined yet to isolate a product. When you're making distillate, what you'll see is that's cryogenic extraction with ethanol. It doesn't capture a lot of those terpenes initially, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have the flavor in your product that you do in BHO. So when you dab a BHO product, you're going to initially wow that lemon taste is really great like the lemon haze i can really taste it right when you're smoking a, 
a, a dislip pen after you've filtered the fats and lipids and gone through your white film evaporation, which is again, uh, distillation, which is focused on a boiling point of you know, one compound, you then add normally um, terpenes back into the product to, right. make it, to make it a flavor, right? And 90% of the time, they're, they're not cannabis terpenes, right? They're, they're mm. some random plant terpene compound that they put into your, into your pen. So now you're not even smoking cannabis. Right. Um, I had no idea that was the difference. That's wow. really cool to know. Botanical, right? Botanical turbines. Yep. That's yeah, what I've see, heard. You see it all the time. Yeah. Wow. Um, nowadays, we're seeing more and more and more steam distillation being done with these hemp farms, right? Which steam distillation will create clear terps, which can be added right in pens. And now you're seeing companies take Delta 8, right? Which is mm-hmm. a conversion of CBD, which is legal in multiple states. Now mix it with hemp terps and sell a THC with hemp terp derived um, substances online across the country. Like, and then it, it, the, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, there's a lot of new opportunity with not only with Delta eight, but with live resin and butane extraction on so many levels. Um, we're very excited to get into it. Um, obviously that's my experience as, as an extractor. Uh, I started at one of the first butane labs in Oakland. So I, I'm very excited to now be selling our systems to, companies all across the, the world and and that's where my expertise is so we're definitely on the next leg where we're going to start shining um you're going to see a lot of our uh equipment manufacturer a lot of the main products that you see on shelves which is exciting for us that that is cool because i do see the market i mean there's over 113 different like cannabinoids i think the last time i looked up the number was that was the closest estimate and it was like as we're isolating different ones and seeing like how we can, um, you know, mess, like produce them to a, a higher effect to get something out of that specific cannabinoid. Is that something that the extraction world is driving and like, oh, look, we came up with this process to do this thing or like, hey, guys, if you isolate this and then, you know, multiply, it, you get this. Is that is that extraction based or is that extraction is like chasing that and finding out like, okay, now we got to build something to extract this. I mean, is there a difference in that process? Depends what you're doing and what, what your, what your business plan is, right? Um, if your business plan is to own a retail store and sell dabs, um, probably not. Um, however, if you're a GMP hemp facility, right. Who feeds these cannabinoids to pharmaceutical companies, then yes. Um, mm. there is a bright future in creating formulations with these cannabinoids, um, in addition to isolating them and introducing them to current case studies, um, which is a massive market for companies that have facilities built to federal standards that haven't really been fully developed, right? Um, based upon prior industries and standards that I've helped develop with GMP. Um, these facilities have these clean standards and clean facilities and equipment built to these clean standards. You know, they're the ones that are isolating these these compounds and probably selling to pharmaceutical companies as a consumer. It's pretty rare that I'll be purchasing some sort of isolate powder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and it, it sucks that, that for consumers too, um, as, as new formulations are happening, even like something like Delta eight coming to the market, Alex, you'd be, you'd be floored. We've been around representatives from companies that are like, here, try this Delta eight sample. What's in it? What's in the formulation? Whatever. I don't know. 
<laughs> I think that no, the, the education is going to have to step up at like the point of service so that consumers know exactly what they're getting, whether it's live resin or whether it's a Delta eight product or a new formulation. Cause some of that, some of this is, is a little scary to consider, you know, when it, absolutely. Consumer- I would always, I would always ask for anything to test my Delta eight when you get it. Um, <laughs> you want to show that acid has been neutralized. There's a lot of unknown variables when we do conversions. Um, and, and really the only way to know your product is that when it's done, take it to an analytical, analytical lab, get it tested. Right. And, and that's the, trust you have in a recreational market is that all the products have already been tested versus buying something from a hemp manufacturer with without the same state uh, requirements for distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so look, I know that I know that we, we were lucky enough to get a window of your time where you weren't uh, extremely busy. We're so grateful you talked to us today, Alex. I do know for a fact when this is going to go up on our site, um, we will have already had conversations with people in some of these markets uh, that we mentioned. How do these people get in touch uh, with you and your team at C1D1? C1D1labs.org um, is the best or our Instagram, uh, C1D1labs. Okay. Um, you search for that, you might see our backup accounts as well. We have a few. Everybody um, has. <laughs> that just means you've been in this for yeah, quite I mean, some time. Exactly. In our That's pro. Experience. I've survived <laughs> the Instagram war. It for means now. you're a seasoned veteran of that Instagram war. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I look so, for you. Yeah, def- definitely on that, man. So we have links as well to our other side companies. Um, butane Extraction Equipment, also mm-hmm. another Instagram, ButaneExtractionEquipment.com. Um, we're very SEO friendly, so if you have a hard time finding us, I'm sure the second or first page of Google can definitely find us if you just go ahead and search our keyword keywords. Absolutely. We're going to put up uh, your social handles and we're going to put up your website too for our audience. And please uh, check out the site too. Like I, I sit there and learn uh, as I'm reading through and, and checking out the work you're doing and reading through the blogs. Um, uh, I was wondering if you'd be so kind to just play along on a couple of goofy questions with us, Alex. We, we like to do this with all our guests. Are, are you game? I'm always game. I'm a pretty goofy guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go right back to this. I'm going to get one from me and one from Francesca. We're going to go to the Pivo questionnaire. Remember that inside the actor's studio, dude? No. no. Remember when Will Ferrell impersonated him? Well, <laughs> he would ask the same questions to people. And I'm going to ask Alex, give us a sound or noise that you hate. <laughs> oh, Ooh, wow. That's got a. They call them cheeseburger birds. Really? And it, 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 I love it. I love the birds. They remind us of home. Okay. But six o'clock every morning, right outside my window, yeah. are these cheeseburger birds, and they're notoriously known in, in Tahoe for just being extremely bad. But you call back to them, and you can have conversations. They're, they're really you, cool birds, you? but I don't like being woken up. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The cheeseburger birds. That would creep me out. It's got a very Bioshock kind of sound to it for me. That, uh, all right, Alex, uh, sound or noise that you love? Uh, I got one. Slot machine. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. We got it. (laughs) Outstanding. I love both of those. The cheeseburger birds going in the, in the file. Uh, now, Francesca, you have a scenario that we love to do with our guests. Francesca has a would you rather for Alex? Yeah, yeah. So they could extract. Um, <laughs> would you rather be a wake up tomorrow and find yourself as a centaur 
as in like half man, half horse, or a merman. Ooh, that is difficult. Right? <laughs> Horses can't swim. And do mermaids go on land? They don't go on land. No, right? they don't. Not for long. Are there more? Are there mermaids? Yes. Then I'd be a merman. There you go. There you go. Oh. My, my, my literature teacher impulses were coming back. I was like, man, centaurs were rowdy sons of bitches, though. They were, they were some, they were some, but I, I think I go with Alex too. Gotta go. I, have a, career, I mean, you have a career with Old Spice for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Listen, uh, Alex, I can't thank you enough for giving us your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure being able to spend this time with you. Uh, we really appreciate you being on. Yeah, Nick thanks for teaching us so much. We really appreciate it. Nick, Francesca, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Look, our guest has been Alex Barsky, C1D1 Labs, butane extraction equipment. We're going to give you the links. Check them out. Uh, and please, if you could use uh, this gentleman's advice, seek him out, get in contact with him. It's been the Infuse Show. Uh, Alex Barsky's been our guest. We're going to see you next time from Dela Who, Dela What, Dela Where. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.